Uh, over the next five weeks, as we look at this topical sermon series, uh, it'll be a bit different to what we're used to. Our normal practice is to preach chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. And that's what we've been doing with Neil through the book of Ezekiel, and we'll return to Ezekiel in mid-November. But with the topical series, we'll be looking at a range of different passages from the Bible as we explore one topic. And with a topical series, there's always the risk of taking the preacher, taking Bible passages out of context. So as with all things you hear from any preacher, it's always good to test everything they say against the scriptures, the Bible. Bible passages will be given to you in the outline, so feel free to do your own homework after the talk. But I'll also be available on Zoom after the service if you'd like to follow up anything I say in the sermon. Well, as we look at this series on community, I'll be breaking this topic into five smaller topics. One, made for community. Two, broken community. Three, truth in community. Four, love in community. And lastly, hope for community. And to get today, we'll begin with made for community. Before we do anything, let's pray and ask God for help. Gracious Father God, we thank you that you made us for a relationship with you. Please help us now. Please speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit. And please use me to speak your word faithfully, clearly, boldly, and with love. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, staying apart keeps us together. When the marketing team of the Victorian government came up with that slogan at the start of the pandemic, they must have thought they were on to a, a good thing. Now, that slogan has appeared on daily press conferences uh, given by our Premier. But in Melbourne, that slogan has felt less and less true as lockdown has gone on for so long. Uh, at times, I've wanted to jump on the stage of that press conference with a black marker, and I just want to change one of those words so that it reads like this, staying apart keeps us apart. Staying apart has meant that grandparents haven't seen grandchildren, businesses have shut down, churches haven't been able to gather together, sporting clubs are empty schools only this week have reopened for some but not all students isolation is driving up rates of mental illness and family violence and families have even had to choose who can spend time with their loved ones as they die our sense of community is is seemingly in shambles and we're left with a series of unanswered questions. What will our community look like after the virus? How will we rebuild our community after such a long time apart? And some of us will even be questioning whether we'll remain committed to the communities we're part of. Well, what will it look like for us to gather as a church? Uh, we know that things won't go back to the way they were, but what will the new normal look like? We're not sure yet. And this series of talks is not intended to give detailed answers to all these questions, but I'm hoping it will begin a conversation, especially as we look at months ahead where the restrictions might ease more and we might begin to be able to meet in smaller groups again. 
I'm hoping it will begin for you thinking about what shapes your ideas of community and to consider from the Bible what God thinks makes good community and to let that be the foundation for rebuilding community. Now, if you do a word search for community in the Bible, you will not find it, but the Bible talks about relationships. And that's how I will often use the term community in my talks. I want to talk about relationships because they're the very heart of community. And the Bible tells us that God made us for relationships. So if you want to understand community, you need to go back to your creator, and that's where the Bible starts. And here's the point that I want to make from the Bible this morning. We've been made by God for God and others. We've been made by God for God and others. Well, at the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, the pinnacle of God's creative work is people. Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Well, nothing else in all of God's creation bears God's image. And much can be said about what it means to be made in the image of God. For example, the role that God gave people to rule over God's creation under God. But today, I want to draw your attention to just one aspect of being made in God's image, and that is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. We are made, first and foremost, for relationship with God. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Acts 17 when he talks to the Athenians and looks back at creation. Acts 17, verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place." that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. What Paul is saying there is we were made by God for God. Notice verse 27, God is not far from each one of us, and that includes you. Now, for whatever reason, you might feel that God is far from you or that you are far from God. But in reality, he isn't. He made you in his image. He gave you something of his dignity and wonder so that you could have a relationship with him. He wants you to reach out to him because he has already reached out to you by sending his son Jesus into the world. That is God opening his arms out to you and saying, come and find me. Take up this offer. Call out to God in prayer. Ask him to show you who he is. That is how you begin a relationship with God. Well, not only did God create us for relationships, but God is the source of all relationships. Genesis 1, 26 
says, let us make man in our image. Now, who is the us referring to? Well, some say that the us is talking about God and the beings that God made before he made man, beings like angels. But many also say, and I agree with this position, that the us is talking about God himself, the Trinity, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We see at the start of Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the formless earth. In John chapter 1, the eternal word of God, John says, was with God and was God in the beginning before he made anything. And John goes on to say that the word is none other than Jesus, God's son. You see, before the creation of the world, before God made us, there was already a community of relationships. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit already had loving, other-centered community with each other. And you see, that raises an important point. Why does God need a relationship with us when he's already in a community? Now, it's not because God was lonely or desperate for us to be in relationship with him. He already had a community. But God made us to know him for our benefit. He's the source of relationship. Why does he do this? Acts 17, verse 28, Paul says, In him we live and move and have our being. You see, without God, life doesn't work properly. Without God, relationships don't work properly. Without God, in the end, nothing works properly. Creatures need their creator. We were made by God for God because we need God. The Psalms are a great book in the Bible for pandemics because these songs are often the experience of people who have been humbled in life. Things have been stripped away from them through suffering. Suffering has refined them in such a way that the conclusion they reach is this, I need God. Listen to the start of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been food day and night. There is someone who knows their need for God in their suffering. I found myself uh, during this time envious of the freedoms of people in other states during lockdown. Uh, my family and I were meant to go to Queensland these last school holidays. Instead, we've been stuck, like many of you, within a five-kilometer radius. So at times I've wanted to live in other states other than Victoria. The author of Psalm 73 finds himself envying the prosperity and the carefree lives of others around him, even the people who couldn't care less about God. But by the end of the psalm, this is where he lands. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We need God. We were made to need God. 
In his ministry, Jesus often retreated away from the crowds of people who demanded so much of him. And he did this either by himself or with his disciples to spend time with God in prayer. Jesus knew his need for his Father God. I suspect that dealing with COVID-19 and lockdown has been harder for all of us than we care to admit. We felt frail and helpless. We've been bored and grieved and isolated. How have you been uh, coping with all of this? What ways have you used to find comfort? Is it food? Uh, Guilty as charged? Uh, Maybe you found comfort in Uber Eats or eating more than you normally do or just cooking new recipes. Is it Netflix, guilty as charged? Have you found yourself binging new series week by week more than you would? Is it more exercise, chasing the endorphins that will help you with that temporary high? Is it online shopping? We have shopped online like never before during lockdown. Is it caffeine? Is it cleaning? Is it Fortnite or Minecraft? Is it TikTok or Facebook? Is it alcohol? Is it porn? We try so many ways, don't we, to fill the God-shaped heart in our lives. And let's be honest, none of those ways, and we know this, satisfy, truly satisfy like God does. Everything in our culture shouts at us to be consumers, but we were made for a higher calling. We were made to be lovers, lovers of God. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And Jesus didn't command us to harm us. Jesus commanded us for our benefit because this is what we were made for, relationship with God. Let me ask you, have you learned the most important lesson in lockdown? And that is you need God. Don't miss the great lesson. You are weak, you are frail, you are a creature. You need your creator. So cry out to him, ask him for help. Stop running to all the other options and run to him. Because when everything else is stripped away, you will always have God. And he is and always has been more than enough. If you're a follower of Jesus, I wonder if you have used this time to grow the habit of spending time with God in prayer and Bible reading on a daily basis. If not, then lockdown is a prime opportunity, isn't it? Don't waste the rest of lockdown. This is the time. Do it before you forget how much you need God. Well, not only did God make us for God, we've been made by God for others. In Genesis 2 verse 18, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And what's amazing about this statement is that right through chapter 1, you see this phrase, God saw what he had made and it was good. And you see that repeated all the time. But here's the first thing that is not good. Man was not made to be alone. So God created woman for man. 
a helper, a companion, someone who could be his equal as they ruled creation together under God. Uh, As much as we've relied on our pets to get us through lockdown, dog is not man's best friend. As image bearers, we were made for relationship with other image bearers of God. Marriage is the first community that God created between people, but clearly in the Bible, marriage is not the only community. God's people are a community described in different ways in the Bible. God's people are a family, brothers and sisters, with God, our Heavenly Father. God's people are described as a bride, prepared for our husband, Christ. God's people are a body of many parts with Christ as our head. God's people, the church, is a community made by God to gather together. And that is the literal meaning of the word church. Ecclesia, it means to gather together. So, you see, that's why you've been finding lockdown so hard. You were never made for isolation from others. Being an image bearer of God means being connected to others in relationship. And believers in Jesus express that bond between them by meeting together regularly. Uh, I'm an introvert, so I quite enjoy time on my own, and, and I didn't mind the first lockdown in Melbourne. But even us introverts have found the second lockdown hard because we weren't made to live like this. And as thankful as I've been for online church and technologies like Zoom that allow us to meet in some way, it's not the same, is it? And don't forget that lesson after the pandemic. None of these technologies, including all the social media platforms that we use, are any substitute for face-to-face embodied relationships. A virtual hug is still not a hug. It's been so hard not to be able to go to weddings and funerals in person, not being able to rejoice with people in person, and not being able to grieve with people in person. All of us have been made by God for others. And I think COVID has not only prevented us from meeting, but I think what it's done is it's also exposed the cracks in our communities. I suspect that this is a time in which people are evaluating their communities. Marriages will be assessed. Friendships and families will be reviewed and churches will be scrutinized. And some will work harder at rebuilding these communities after the virus, and others will leave in search of new and better ones. But let me ask you, what will you look for? How will you rebuild? As I said, if you do a word search, you won't find the word community in the Bible, but you will find the word koinonia. It's a Greek word in the New Testament, and it appears about 20 times in describing the relationship between believers in Jesus and other believers, and in describing the relationship between believers and Jesus himself. And the meaning of the word koinonia, it's deeper than friendship. 
the English translations use the word fellowship to describe it. Koinonia is a deep partnership, a, a deep sharing together of life. The Lord's Supper that we celebrate each month is a meal that is described as a koinonia meal. And the first appearance of koinonia is in Acts chapter 2, describing the early Christians in Jerusalem. Acts 2 verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and their prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here is koinonia in action. And I think this is the community that we all long for, isn't it? No hoarding of toilet paper and pasta, but everyone looking out for the needs of others, meeting each other daily, selling possessions, sharing with others in need, thankfulness, generosity, praising God, having favor with those outside their community. And it's all very appealing but it didn't necessarily last, even in Jerusalem. By Acts chapter 8, in the book of Acts, we read that a persecution broke out against the Christians and all the believers, except for the apostles, were scattered into Judea and Samaria. Well, many since then have tried to capture that sense of community and have often failed. Dictators, cult leaders... Church and family leaders have often chased after their own vision of community only to end up destroying their communities. You see, I think you don't find community by searching for it. Because when you put that much hope in other people to meet your needs, you will be disappointed just as much as they will be disappointed by you meeting their needs. So, so how do you get this koinonia, this kind of community that we all long for? And the Bible's answer is Jesus. You look for Jesus. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 1 about Jesus. 1 John 1, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship, koinonia, with us, and indeed our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let me explain the logic of what John is saying. John is saying here that he knew Jesus. He saw him, he touched him, he had relationship, he has an eyewitness of relationship with Jesus. He had koinonia with Jesus. And in sharing about Jesus with his readers, they too can share koinonia with Jesus and therefore koinonia with John and other believers. You see, the key to koinonia in the Bible is Jesus. It is coming into a deep union with Jesus 
that gives us the community with others that we long for. Christ is the head of the body, his church, and a body without a head is lifeless and dead. And so if you want to be part of a dynamic, life-giving community that is other-centered, you must keep looking to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate image-bearer. He is the very image of the invisible God, the exact representation of God's being, the Bible tells us. If you want to see what humanity is meant to be, you look to Jesus. If you want to know how to live in your community, you look to Jesus. The second greatest commandment Jesus gave was this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Give yourself to the needs of others and not your own needs. That is how Jesus lived. He gave himself to loving, sacrificial, other-centered love. That is how Jesus loved us. And that is what he commands of his people. And we'll see this more when we look at the topic of love in this series. And Jesus exemplified other-centered love in no greater display than the cross. Not only did he love his neighbors, he loved his enemies. And the price of bringing us community with God was the blood of Jesus. You see, the more we rely on others and ourselves to build the community we want, we will be sorely disappointed. But Jesus will never disappoint you. I don't know about you, but I have uh, been feeling lethargic and unmotivated at times during lockdown. It's been hard to respond to people's calls and messages. And some Sundays, I find it hard to turn up to online church, to be honest. And that comes from the guy who spends much of his week putting online church together. That command to love my neighbor feels as hard as ever. And that's why I need Jesus more than ever. I was thinking about these verses, Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think these verses could have been easily written during a pandemic. What they remind me of is this. My life is bookended by two certainties. When I look back, I see the certainty that Jesus died for me and opened up a way for me to be in community with God. And when I look forward, there's another certainty that Jesus will return on that great day. He will take me home. And in the meantime, I live in this period where at times I feel uncertain. I feel tired. I'm tempted to think that it's all too hard. I'm tempted to be selfish, to withdraw, to give up meeting together. But I'm reminded that the time is short, that Jesus is faithful, that he will return, and I must make the most of the time remaining not to indulge myself, but to serve others. 
let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So let me stir you up. Men, get off your phones and talk to your wives. Talk to the people in your household if you share house, if you live in a share house. Women, stop comparing yourselves to others and instead serve others. Kids, do your chores without grumbling, without being asked. Do it out of love. Brothers and sisters, ask not what someone can do for you today, but what you can do for someone out of love. Drop off a care package. Call someone you know who is struggling. Pray for someone, then send them a text message telling them you prayed for them. And if restrictions ease this afternoon and you're allowed to meet with more people, make a time to meet with someone you have not seen for months so that you might encourage them. I know it's hard at the moment. I'm finding it hard at the moment. Don't give up. Keep fighting the urge to shrink back, to not meet with other believers. Keep fighting the urge to be self-centered. Keep looking to Jesus so you will be other-centered. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is what you were made for. And if you see me shrinking back, then please stir me up. This pandemic has at times brought out the worst in our communities, but this need not be the case. Sometimes we can see the very best come in our communities at the worst times. A bubonic plague came to the town of Eam in 1665. By the end of that year, 42 people had died in the town. And the minister of the village, William Mompesson, along with the previous minister, Thomas Stanley, persuaded the villagers not to flee to other towns, but to quarantine themselves, which would lower the risk of spreading the plague to other parts of England. And they went great lengths to do this, when suppliers from other villages would drop off things for the village. They would drop them off at the edge of town, and the residents of Eam dug these wells filled with vinegar where they would drop their coins so that the vinegar could disinfect these coins for their suppliers. Church services and prayer meetings moved outdoors so that people could still hear the gospel of Jesus and to pray. And this lowered the risk of infection, but they had to change the way they did things. William Mompesson and his wife Catherine devoted themselves to caring for the sick and the dying. You see, this is what loving community looks like, isn't it? And according to one account... Only 83 people survived out of a population of 350 in Eam. Catherine Mompesson, aged 27, William's wife, was amongst those who died and went to be with her Lord. 
This is what William Mompesson wrote to his patron, Lord Halifax, after her death. My dearest dear is gone to her eternal rest and is invested with the crown of righteousness, having made a most happy end. Had she loved herself as well as me, she would have fled from the pit of destruction and might have prolonged her days. But she was resolved to die as a martyr for my interest. My drooping spirits are much refreshed with her joys, which I assure myself are unutterable. This is love of God. This is love of neighbor. And this is what you were made for. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, we thank you that you made us. In you we have life, we have our being. Thank you that you made us to know you in relationship with you. Thank you for the love that exists between you, Father, Son and Spirit, and that you want to bring us into this wonderful community Thank you, Father, that you made us for a relationship with others. Father, we are struggling at this time, spending all this time on our own in isolation. Help us to not shrink back. Help us not to feel sorry for ourselves, but to look to Jesus and to love others as we wait for that great day when Jesus returns. Father, at uh, this time we pray for our sister Rachel Smith. We pray for her in hospital at the moment, Father. We do pray, Father, for wisdom for the doctors who will be treating her, Father. We thank you for the relief that you give to Rachel. And Father God, we pray that you would sustain the Smith family. Please uh, give them uh, rest from their weariness of managing all these uh, health and uh, medical appointments, and we pray, Father, that you would sustain them to know the goodness that you show to them in Jesus. Please continue to grow their confidence in Jesus. We commit all this to you, Father, in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.